0: Temp check. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today.
1: This is Joel Matosa with the band 7Train and you're listening to Talking Metal.
0: You're listening to the Talking Metal podcast with your host, Mark Striegel. And special guest co-host, Victor, Victor M. Ruiz. Ruiz. iTunes, number one hard rock and metal podcast. I'm Bud Friendly. Now, here are your hosts, Mark and Victor.
2: Welcome, one and all, to another episode of Talking Metal Live yo victor over in spain and over in somewhere on some snowy mountain mark street yeah
3: yeah we're we're up in lake placid on a little ski trip so glad to take a break from the uh the vacation to be able to talk with you guys so victor how are things in spain tonight
2: things are good we are uh finally past three weeks worth of Windstorms, which have uh, wreaked havoc here on the coast, almost uh, all of the beaches have lost a considerable amount of sand. Something that happens on the Jersey Shore all the time, but is very wow.
1: up here.
3: Like what? When you say windstorms, how fast are these winds? Like sixty miles mile an hour, more, or more? more? Usually,
2: like between eighty to a hundred miles an hour. Um, and I mean. Where I live, where I'm living currently, it's messed up a bunch of the the roofs here in the uh, development. So there was a a lot of issues and with a lot of little kids around, you know, it was an issue with, uh, you know, having tiles and different things flying all over the place. So uh, it's nice for it to calm down and be sunny. And it's uh, it's about in the 50s right now. So it's not bad for, you know, February.
3: Cool. Cool, 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 well stay safe, watch out for flying <laughs> tiles And we, ha- we got a guy on the show tonight, he used to be in 24-7 Spies, his name is Joel And he now has a great new band called Seven Train, he's going to be talking to us in just a little bit So stay tuned for that I've been kind of on a Motley Crew kick ever since they announced their retirement tour Their, their R.I.P. tour, if you will which I still need to decide which show I'm going to go to, and I need to decide how how much money I'm willing to pay for tickets. Um, now, I, what I've been doing is I pulled out all their old CDs, and I've been going through them, and uh, I, I'm somewhat confused by the first Motley Crue record. Okay, so this, this record, you know, and I also just recently read Vince Neil's book. Now, in Vince Neil's book, he revealed that... You know, the, the record was released, Too right. Fast for Love, uh, on an independent label. Uh, they released it themselves, basically. And and what happened was then Elektra signed them and re-released the record. Now, when, but they didn't simply just re-release it. Like, when Elektra signed Metallica, like, six months or something after Ride the Lightning came out, all they did was stick their name on the record and re-release it, you know. Um, and the Megaforce version of Ride the Lightning and the Electra version of Ride the Lightning were exactly the same. However, with Too Fast right. for Love, this is not the case. And the band goes into this in the dirt, and, and Vince goes into it even more in his book because he was very annoyed because Electra basically made him re-record a lot of the vocals for the record. Um, which they don't, I think, say in the dirt. I think they just simply say it was remixed in the dirt uh, when Electra signed them. But, but he, you know, he said this in his book. So I pulled out the Motley Crue reissue of "Too Fast for Love," which has you know all, all the, which has basically all the tracks as they were released by Electra, and then it has some bonus tracks. And I wanted to talk quickly about some of the bonus tracks. Now they have "Too Fast for Love" the bonus track with the alternate. Intro, and Vince says in the liner notes for the the reissue of Too Fast for Love, I really like the beginning. I don't know why they left it off in the first place. When you first hear it, you think it's soft ballad type thing, and then it turns into the Too Fast for riff, Too Fast for Love riff. I thought it was really cool. Um, I think it's great that Electric <laughs> cut the beginning of that song Too Fast for Love because it's terrible. I mean, <laughs> I mean, uh, and and. The interesting thing is, on this reissue of "Too Fast for Love," if you listen to the original version of "Too Fast for Love" and you listen to the Electra version now the original version is, is put on the CD as a bonus track, and the Electra version of too, the song "Too Fast for Love," I'm referring to, is just on the CD, you know, in the normal running order you can blatantly tell that not only did they chop that beginning off, but his voice his voice is different you know like he, it sounds so much better on the electra version like he's he's almost like there's certain lines in the verse where you specifically hear that he's not hitting the notes and he just doesn't have the power that he has on the the reissue so i have to disagree with vince i think it's a great idea i think it was probably a great idea for electra to have gone and remixed it and and also had him uh, re-record his his vocals, a lot of his vocals, and they also cut one or two tracks. Let me let me ask you, you do you know that I don't I know how how you are on it's Motley Crue.
2: Stick to your guns.
3: Wrong. <laughs> wrong. You and Mick Mars are wrong because in the in the liner notes for this reissue, Mick says. And he's talking. It says "Toast of to the Town." This was one of the first songs we learned as a group. I don't know why, but it was on the original record, and then Elektra took it off. It probably would have been better to have just kept it on, Mick Mars. So this is in their liner notes for this album, but it's wrong, you know, and it's in the dirt too. But it's it's totally, totally wrong. "Toast Toast of the Town" was not on the original independent release of too fast for love stick yeah it was the single the first thing they ever did was stick to your guns and to uh, toast to the town was a single and stick stick to your guns was on the original too fast for love album release Electra pulled it off which again i think was probably a wise choice it wasn't quite the song that the other songs on the album were uh but but toast this this li- these liner notes with Mick Mars's quote it, it's completely wrong and the dirt i believe also says that they pulled off uh toast of the town and that's completely wrong and i started going a little insane today and i was online and sure enough i found numerous websites saying that it has been falsely reported that toast of the town was on the original too fast for love it was not and right. Victor didn't know it. We'll give you a pass, but Mick Mars should know this, don't you think? Mick Mars should have known this, and don't you think somebody who was fact checking their liner notes when they did these reissues should have realized that "Toast of you the Town" was never the on. You know, Simon and too fast, fast for love. Was ever.
2: That released, it should have, you know, done their due diligence with that. Um, the one thing that I w- yeah. want to mention regarding this album. Uh, I When I spoke to uh, Gene Hoagland, who's now playing in Testament and Death Clock and a bunch of other bands, um, he grew up in the L.A. area. And one of my favorite things about doing my Classic Albums series is hearing his comments about a lot of these bands first coming up. And he talked a lot about the first Motley Crue album, even though the album that we were supposed to talk about was Shout at the Devil. He started right. talking about um, Too Fast for Love and how he had the original uh, single with uh, Toast of the Town and Stick to Your Guns. And he actually mentions that he prefers the mix before Electra got a hold of it because he feels that the whole album overall has more of a raw, like punk type feel to where Electra maybe made it a little bit too glossy in a few mm-hmm spots. Uh. Right.
3: Hmm. Okay. Well, Vince Neil, I believe says something similar in his book. You know, he, he was, he bitches in the book that they made him go re record a bunch of the vocals, which again, I think was probably a good idea. And he also bitches about them, you know, cutting intros and, and stuff like that. I believe there was another intro. They cut the intro to too fast for love. I believe there was one other song. I'm not sure that they also cut the intro to. Uh, Not not positive about that though. But it's
2: um, not from "Shout at the Devil" though. The whole "Black Widow," which became the intro to uh,
3: "Helter Skelter." I don't think so. No, but it could be. Who knows? Could be. But you know, just uh, I I just whenever these 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 books and or or especially like a CD liner notes, you would think that they would. That someone would have pulled out the old original independent. I mean, what was their their label? Leather or? Like or that, yeah. How do you pronounce I, it? I
2: always would say leather, even though it was pronounced leather. Was
3: leather, yeah. You know? It has that u in there. I didn't know if it was leather or luther, but whatever. Yeah, probably leather. But you'd think somebody would have checked that right. out. Uh, however, I, I think that that first Motley Crue record. Wow, I mean, those first two Mo- yeah. Motley Crue records, still, you know they they've held the test of time, and you know there were Motley Crue had a lot of make make or not, I wouldn't say make or break, but songs that that made their career that probably weren't on either one of those records, you know, songs like you know Home Sweet Home or Girls Girls Girls, but as albums go and a collection of songs. You can't beat those first two two Motley Crue records, at least, you know, in the world of Motley Crue, that is.
2: Yeah, I, I agree one hundred percent. Um that that's why it annoys me every time that they go to put out a new album is that come out of Nikki Six's mouth is, Oh, this sounds like Shout at the Devil and usually Dr. Feelgood or something like that. And they've never reproduced what they've done with those first two albums. The rawness the hunger, the songwriting, um, you know, it's it's package. And actually after that, they started tuning differently as well. So there's a bunch of different things that I think play into the whole, you know,
3: sort of. You think they started tuning differently? Like in what way?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mick Mars, after Shout at the Devil, started tuning his guitars oh. differently. Cause so he that,
3: was tuned to um, full, like he did uh, on those first two records. I believe he is tuned an entire full step down. Yeah. I don't know how, right. maybe he started doing drop D or something after that.
2: After that, I mean, I'm not as versed as, as you are. And because I love the way those albums sound, I do have two of my guitars tuned that way, just because I love them. But I know that after that, he um, changed his tuning so that he could play, um, I guess it's what, open chords? Yeah. Is that the correct right, right, right. term? So that he didn't right. actually have to, uh, you know, so that with one, it was, he could basically play a, a full chord instead of having to incorporate multiple fingers for a lot of these tracks. So even when you hear them live, they do sound slightly different as right. a result. Gotcha.
3: Cool. Well, you know what? We're running a little short on time, Victor, so let's get into Toast of the Town by Motley Crue right now. And before we do that, actually, real quick, if you want free Striper tickets, guys, email me at Mark at TalkingMetal.com. This is for their New York show on April 18th at Stage 48. Striper tickets free for you, the Talking Metal listener. I got four of them, so hit me up, guys. I'll give two to each, uh, two to two per person. Um, breaking news Bill Wang on Facebook is saying Ace is calling into Eddie Trunk to make a special announcement on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame tonight. That should be interesting. We got to get John on the line later, see if he has any inside info that he won't tell us about. And let's, uh, let's get into Toast of to the Town right now, followed by a little 24 7 spies, followed by our conversation with Joel. Hey, it's Mark Striegel of the Talking Metal Podcast, along with Victor Ruiz. And on the phone, we have Joel Matoza of the band 7Train. Joel, how are you?
1: Hey, hey, doing good, man. Thanks for having me.
3: You bet, man. Thanks for joining us. The song we just heard coming into the interview was called Love and Peace with you with on drums. And it was for, by 24-7 Spies featuring Doug Pinnock on vocals off the heavy metal Soul by the Pound album, which was uh, the the first album that Twenty Four Seven Spies really did as a, a trio with with Jimmy Hazel stepping stepping up his role and and bringing on uh, the vocals. Any memories of that album and that uh, place in time for Twenty Four Seven Spies?
1: Absolutely, yeah it was a it was a blast. I mean it was it was an interesting time. We were uh, we actually cut those tracks. Um, for a European version of that record, which was called Six. Um, and then it released in Europe, and then uh, the American release was Heavy Metal Sold by The Pound, um, which featured, I think the Six version had uh, a couple of covers on it, Seven and Seven Is by Love, um, and a couple other tracks. But yeah, it was cool, man. It was nice to go uh, go out. We, we called the tour uh, Three the Hard Way, and we went out to Europe for like three months, and I think we only had like two or three days off in three months and the whole run.
3: Wow! Wow! And Doug Pinnick working with him in the studio. Did you have any direct contact with him? I know he was on two songs on that record, right?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Doug's great, man. We go, we go way back. We've we've been involved with uh, with Doug and him, you know, helping out, spies and hanging out together, and we're all one big family. So it's funny because uh, it's all like within the group. It's like you have, you know, uh, the guys from Cyclone Temple and Snow White and. Uh, Doug and King's X and Fishbone and the Busboys, and it's just like one big happy family. We all know each other. We've known each other for years.
3: Excellent. Excellent. Well, that was all in the past. Let's talk about what's going on currently with you. Seven Train, you guys have a self-titled debut that just came out this week. And tell us a little bit about Seven Train. How long have you guys been around?
1: You know, the the band, as it is right now, has only been about uh, a little over a year um, in actuality uh Eric and well let me go back a little bit. So it started out as we had a good friend of ours pass away um down here in in the San Diego, California area um, in 2012 uh by the name of everybody called him Big Vinny. He was a sound guy and a bass player. Um, reputable guy around San Diego and he was a, all you know a friend of ours and everybody in Seven Trans pretty much been, you know, friends for, you know, 20 years or more and we all kind of decided we should probably do an album together because we went there and did the memorial show for him to help, uh, you know, Vinny's family with uh, funeral costs and and expenses and stuff, and, you know, he didn't have any insurance or anything, so um, a bunch of local musicians got together and and played the show down there and uh, at a venue in San Diego, and it it went over great, and we thought, you know, let's do a record. Let's go in and have some fun, and so these songs kind of came together, and some of the stuff was pre-written, and went in and knocked it out, and that's
3: who you have the band cool and, and the album sounds great by the way but just to backtrack a little bit now big Vinny, you said he was kind of a, a part of the scene and i know you guys dedicated the record to his memory and it sounds like he's part of the reason you came together as a band who who was he like what 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 part of the scene was he was he a booker was he a musician
1: he was a he was a musician and a sound a live sound technician and it's like everybody knew him. He came from back east. He was originally from New York, I believe, and moved to San Diego years ago. And uh, literally, if you were doing sound, if you were playing a venue, he was doing sound at it or he was there. You know, it was like he was always helping in some way, shape, or form. He played bass in a couple of bands, and um, you know, he was just a loved character. He, he was. Think of like uh, like Gigi Allen Light, but somebody that that you weren't afraid of so much. <laughs> right,
0: right. But he G. was a great
1: guy. You know, he was really cool to hang out with, and he was always at the parties. And um, unfortunately, he had uh, he had a seizure, and um, it, it got the best of him. And they found him oh, the next man. morning. So. Interior. yeah we had to do what we could we had to get together and do what we could for his family and and give him a proper send-off and that's why we de- dedicated the record to him because if it wasn't for him in actuality the musicians probably wouldn't have gotten together and done this record so oh,
3: interesting. now you guys worked with some people in the studio including the engineer don lithgow right how would you hook up with him right.
1: i've known don for years too and he's another guy that came out from uh... from the east coast years ago um, but he's, worked with, he's worked with some
3: really big bands, like Blink-182, right?
1: Right, right. And, uh, and he's a great guy. He's a character to work with. And, uh, and I've done a couple other projects with him in the past. Uh, I used to have a solo project called Shockhead, which featured uh, um, this bass player, Ricky Wilking, who um, ended up playing with the Nixons and Jennifer Batten and Tony McAlpine and a bunch of other great people. And uh, another great guitar player named Craig Soderbergh, who was in a band called Idis. And um, uh, we we did an album together, and um, part of that record was, was recorded at uh, at DML. And um, I've probably done seven or eight different either records or projects uh, with Don in the past. And he's was friends with everybody in the band, too, so it was kind of a no-brainer. We thought, yeah, let's have Don do it. It would be great.
3: Excellent. Now, I know you have, in, in your band, uh, you have former Cage guitarist, Eric Horton. I was a big fan of, of Cage. I don't oh, cool. know if they're... Are they still together? Since I think they or?
1: are. I think they yeah. are still together. I, I haven't seen them play out recently, but I believe they are still intact.
3: Yeah, I have one of their CDs sitting on my CD shelves and it's great. But um, anyways, tell us who else is in the band.
1: Um, yeah, so Eric's playing guitar. Uh, another great guitar player named Jeff Purimba, Uh and they trade off on the lead. So it's funny because we've had some uh, some reviews, and and Eric gets the credit for the leads Jeff plays, and Jeff gets the credit for the leads Eric plays. <laughs> we said on the next record maybe we have to do the old school uh, Judas Priest thing where we divide up the leads and say who's playing, you know, the first lead and the second lead. Um, but Jeff's great. He's played with uh, used to be in a band with Coffee Baker, uh, Ginger Baker's son, um, on drums. And oh wow, um, he also plays in a local band, uh, another local band that uh, is like a cover band kind of a thing. Uh, that plays old school metal stuff called Six One Nine. Give them a shout out; they do really good stuff. Um, and then uh, a, a buddy of mine, uh, John Campos, who was, uh, was on vocals. He used to be in a band called Dive Bomber. Uh, great singer, kind of a mix between uh, Chris Cornell and Dio. Uh, people have referenced. And then uh, on bass, um, another good friend of ours, Greg Rupp, played bass on the record, but then bowed out um, during the mastering process because. He's in like two other bands, and he just didn't feel like he would be able to dedicate the the time needed to be able to um, give the band, you know, the, his full effort. So uh, we held auditions right after we were done with the record, and um, right checked a couple people out, and we ended up going with a, a guy named Dino, um, Steve Dino, know Dino actually, and he used to be in a band called Tourniquet.
3: Very good. I'm trying to think Tourniquet. I know that band. I and, but drawing a blank on why but they they had yeah, they've done they were,
1: a, they've done a few albums and uh i think marty friedman played on the last record as well
3: oh did he okay very cool very cool and marty friedman i believe has a, a new record coming out i was just reading about but anyways uh, that's yep. a whole nother topic uh, touring how, <laughs> how do you guys <laughs> yeah a whole other interview right with a different guy but anyways touring do you guys expect to do touring i know it's always hard for independent bands to, to get out on the road, but uh, do you envision getting uh, outside of the the city of San Diego?
1: Yeah, we'd love to actually we're We're booking shows right now, um, mostly on the west coast we're We're looking at doing a, an Arizona date, um, Las Vegas, Sacramento, San Francisco, uh, heading up the west coast up to uh, Seattle. So we're looking at doing some some shows probably between now and summer. Um, on the west coast and then hopefully by the great. end of summer um, you know we'll try to branch out do some us dates it's all about the booking agent you know if you if we can get somebody to help us outside of you know regional dates that would be great but we also have some connections over in europe so we're really going to try hard to get over to europe by the fall for at least you know 2 to 3 weeks if we can and do a quick run over there
3: excellent excellent well i wish you guys all the best of luck the album sounds great and I know it's always hard for independent bands. So, uh, you know, again, best of luck and let's, let's hope something uh, happens. Cause you guys seem to be delivering the goods.
1: Thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it.
3: One final question, a couple final questions back to the circle, back to the 24 seven spies, uh, days, if you will, when's the last time you spoke with Jimmy Hazel?
1: Boy, um, well, we did a reunion tour uh, celebrating the 20 years of the release of Strength in Numbers um, in the beginning of 2012. And we went over to Europe for about two or three weeks, and uh, and it was a good good run. Had a lot of fun. Oh, okay, um, cool.
3: I didn't realize you because I knew you weren't on the the Face the Day record, so I was I didn't right. realize you had gotten back together with them for that tour.
1: Right. Yeah, we we did a reunion tour and uh, and had a blast. And originally it was going to be just like a a real easy you know couple of dates few dates over there try to squeeze in a festival and um, when we got the dates back from the booking agent it was uh... we didn't have any days off it was packed every night with a different city so um did some press over there and had a lot of fun and the fans came out and it was interesting to see like you know now that we're getting older the the new generation the, the fans the the previous fans that we used to have in the old days they're bringing their kids now to the concerts. so you know, we got to meet their families, and it was it was just a big love fest. So it was really cool. But I keep in touch with the guys. In fact, um, as soon as the record, the Seven Train record was done, uh, the first track change, um, I sent Jimmy was the first person that heard it, and I sent it to him. And I was like, you know, tell me what you think. And he gave me his blessing, and he's like, it sounds great, man. You got you got nothing to worry about. <laughs>
3: yeah, so Jimmy's we keep in touch. Yeah, Jimmy's a great guy. We did an interview with him. Uh, in New York City, and I, I said, Jimmy, come meet me at this bar on 8th Avenue, a, a dumpy dive bar, one of my uh, hangs, and we—we we got I got to the bar, and he was waiting outside. He was like, I can't go into the bar. I said, why not? He's like, I don't drink. I said, well, you don't have to drink, but we'll do the interview in the bar. He's like, can we please go to the diner across the street? And That's where we did the interview <laughs> in the diner, eating cheese fries. <laughs>
1: I think I remember that. You guys were eating cheeseburgers or something. I, I, yeah. I think it's on YouTube or something. Probably, probably. Yeah, that yeah. was great. Yeah, I remember that.
3: Excellent. Well, so, Joel, best of luck guys. to you.
1: I, I, I was just gonna say they're they're great guys, and I, I owe them the world. Uh, you know, I, I was a huge Spies fan before I was ever even in the band, and and um, you know, I think when when I first got in the band, we did like two rehearsals, and we were back out on tour, and uh, just a great great bunch of guys to work with. Definitely.
3: And Joel, best of luck to you with your band Seven Train. We will have links to your facebook page and soundcloud page in today's show notes on talkingmetal.com and right now we're going to actually play a song in full off the record it's called change victor you got that queued up for us yes
2: sir this is a little seven train with as mark just said change We are back, and joining us on the phone is the one and only Mr. John Astronomy. John, how are you, man? Hey,
4: Victor and Mark. I'm doing good. uh, uh, I was talking to you guys, talking to Mark on the pre-show. I was uh, just bombarded by some guy in a bar called Iron Bar, and uh, he said I bumped into his table. Unfortunately, uh, I am at a uh, an event that I was obligated to go to, and. in a few short minutes, I'm going to be jetting the uh, cab back to uh, Jersey City, uh, and then getting ready, and then headed to uh, the airport because I'm going to be headed to Vegas, where I'm going to be hanging right. out with uh, Mr. Ronnie Mancuso, who we just spoke with a yeah. week so, ago. So, uh, so, so first say. of actually, it got really cold here in New York, but I have an announcement which everybody already knows, but uh, uh, if you follow the internet, but Ace is going to go on Eddie's show, Eddie Trump's show tonight uh to uh make a you know just to basically hang out with Eddie for a little bit so it's going to be a good. Deal. So when you say
3: go on is he calling in or will he be physically there in no, the no. studio? No,
4: um, no, Eddie's going to call Ace actually.
3: Okay, so Ace is out in out in California or out in the West Coast there he's and the he's going to call in.
4: yeah, West Coast area,
3: so. Okay, great. So um, what do you happen, so- as as somebody who's close to Ace, what are you expecting Ace to talk about?
4: Well, I expect that he's going to talk about his new record, uh, which is, you know, sounding great, and he's uh, also going to probably talk about rock and roll things. So.
3: Yeah, because Eddie Trunk actually tweeted, and it appears that he leaves ace is calling in to talk about the hall of fame so all right well we'll be That's listening cool. and and I, and,
4: uh, I, and I spoke to eddie earlier so uh without uh divulging anything uh i think eddie's right on the money with this so
3: okay well we're all very anxious we of course all of us and i'm sure including you john read the interview with paul stanley and classic rock magazine or whatever that was and uh eddie even tweeted that paul had some real valid points uh and uh, you know I, i i agree with that and we're all anxious to hear what your man ace has to say tonight and uh it's definitely you know an interesting time for kiss fans i am hopefully going to attend the rock and roll hall of fame induction regardless of who's playing or or what's what's being done and guys, the drama for this night uh, that's going on within, you know, the speculation within the kiss community and kiss fan group is not limited just to the kiss people, Uh, this rock and roll hall of fame thing. There's a lot of questions and, and stuff among the Nirvana fans. I mean, who really do not like Courtney love and they're very curious to will Courtney love be getting up there and talking on behalf of her late husband or is it maybe better if she just hangs back with the classy thing to be for her to do, just hang back and let her daughter speak? Uh, I suspect Courtney probably will will be up there because she, you know, loves the publicity. Yeah. But we'll see. Uh, these Rock and Roll Hall of Fame things, guys, always there's always lots of drama involved, whether it's, you know, Blondie, Van Halen, or Guns N' Roses. I mean, the list goes on and on. And this year, uh, I'm sure, will be no exception. But let's uh, let's see what Ace has to say tonight, right, John?
4: Yeah, it should be good. And you know what's wild, guys, is that the E Street Band is also getting inducted, and that uh, you know I, I think it's totally deserved. But what I'm questioning is, what does that mean? Is like, like, will Bruce be there too? I don't know. Like that—that's what I, I'm wondering. What do you guys? People, think about uh, that? people
3: are thinking that Springsteen will play with them that night, but who knows? Yeah.
4: See, now that'd be a great thing. Like, um, but it'd be weird if the E Street Band just played and Bruce wasn't there. Like, it, what, what do you guys think of that?
3: Uh, yeah, definitely strange. But I, uh, you know, stranger things have happened. Who knows? Correct. Right. So, uh, guys, so I'm, John, I'm
4: shivering a little bit, cause I'm not Okay. Well, I know you got hand. to get back I'll to go. your
3: your party there, and uh, hopefully you won't bump into any more tables. But uh, let's. Um, yeah, yeah. Did I bumped you really... into
4: a table, and uh, some guy almost uh, attacked me. <laughs>
3: oh my gosh! But let's talk avoid... about where, where you go. Oh, go ahead, Victor.
2: No, avoid tables and avoid rats, John.
3: What's that,
4: Victor?
2: Avoid tables and avoid rats. Correct. That's what I'm going to do.
4: Rats. Nothing crazy. And i got to get home because, like I said earlier, I am headed to Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, USA tomorrow, and uh, I will be uh, heading into the studio to uh, hang out with my new buddy, who I've not yet physically met in person, but Ronnie Maycuso, who we've had on the show a couple of weeks ago, and it'll be a real nice time to uh, – uh, get in touch with him and check out the studio, which I will definitely report on on the next Talking Metal.
3: So yeah, it excellent. will be yeah. a really great experience. And I, guys, I, both Victor and John, I wanted to tell you I was on some random message board somewhere and somebody was, was talking about how cool the Ronnie Mancusa Talking Metal interview was. So oh, good job I, with I will that. I'll definitely guys.
4: pass that info along to him.
3: Yeah, yeah and definitely. John, Thank please, you guys please. For saving me. Yeah, please secure some some passes for you, myself, and Emily for the Red Dragon Cartel show that Ronnie will be playing bass for in early April in uh, Teaneck, New Jersey.
4: No doubt, I will absolutely do that, and um, it'll be a it'll be a great night. And uh, my question is, can I get packed in time to get to Newark Airport early tomorrow morning? And that is the question. So uh, I, I'm confident that I can do it. I just got to cut out of this uh, work-related uh, party tonight and uh, make sure I don't get into any more desktops with uh, any customers who claim I may have bumped them, and <laughs> uh, we'll be good. <laughs> desktop is a, a funny word that uh, Mark and I know very well. Because, uh, many years ago, I think I had up desktop with some DJ at one point, uh, but we won't talk we that. <laughs> I probably had right. a, a lot of ups, but uh, we, we had a lot of fun times here in New York, <laughs> But, yeah, uh, definitely,
3: man. Any of you but- talking
4: guys, you should come and hang out with us. Victor has done it, and uh, you, know, you should come back, Victor.
3: As soon
2: as I can. Believe me, I'll be there. Okay. Excellent. I'm John, a have a safe right trip.
4: Called- oh, thank you. So I want to mention the name of the place I'm at. It's called Iron Bar, and it has a logo that looks like a mini kiss sign. And it's on the corner of 45th and 8th, near wow. where uh, Mark once used to hang out a lot. So.
3: Yeah, forty fifth and eighth. I'm trying to think. Yeah, yeah I don't know. They, yeah, I'm not right. sure. That might that used must have used to be called something else. Forty fifth and eighth. It was. It
4: was um, probably like uh, what was that? Like Charlie O's or something.
3: Maybe. Yeah. Oh, okay. That, right. 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 Okay. Yep. Downtown, so it's on. The, it's um, on the B. west B. side of the street. It's on the west side of the street. Correct. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know exactly. Right Charlie O's
4: from. Uh, like now, it's like uh, it used to be like a chicken flesh, but anyway, like,
3: yeah, we did I a podcast there back when it was Charlie O's, yeah, definitely.
4: yeah, yeah, I remember yeah, now it's called Iron Bar and it's like been redone by some like you know people with money and it looks off cooler and everything, but we actually did a talking metal podcast there like not that long ago, believe it or not, right, probably exactly. about a year ago, like so. All
3: right, cool, very guys. good, well, all right, John, we'll for, have a safe uh, trip having
4: me on uh i appreciate it have a great rest of the show talk to metal fans and listeners and all the cool people uh thanks victor and mark and uh you know shout out to most patch uh rock on and uh, i'll talk to you guys uh in a couple of days
3: yeah and real quick john i was on the phone with mike davis today for almost an hour oh yeah i heard about this yeah and uh he sends he sends his love he says hello
4: Oh, tell them I said rock and roll forever. Uh, what we did was amazing, and it will never be matched by anyone. Because, you know, right. it, was, it was cool, it was, uh, it was fresh, and it was nice.
3: Cool. All right, hey, guys. John, take care.
4: Okay, thanks a lot, guys. Bye bye. All right, John.
3: Cool. Some guy named Joey Van Cheery just commented on Facebook Have you heard Vandenberg's Moon Kings? I have not. Uh, do you know anything about this band, Vandenberg's Moon Kings?
2: I read something, uh, I believe, on Brave Words not too long ago. But outside of reading the actual press release, I haven't heard any music by the band. I thought that uh, Adrian Vandenberg was involved, but if I remember correctly, he is not involved in the band.
3: Why are they? Why are they called Vandenberg's Moon Kings?
2: No idea.
3: That's really strange. Uh, hmm. Interesting. We're gonna have to check that. Are, are you sure? How could he not be involved in the band? Let's
2: see. Maybe I'm. Um... Well, then again, you do have uh, Tony Danza's tap dance experience, or whatever, and he is right. part of it. That. Yeah.
3: That's right. there. You go, <laughs> guys. I wanted to let you know that Paul Stanley was recently in the studio in the recording studio recording his voice reading his own book which will be released soon and i'm excited by that because i use audible.com now audible is where you can go and listen to books and i'm you know hearing that paul was reading his book means most likely it will someday soon be on audible and i will be able to download it to my phone and listen to his book with him reading it which is great and Audible, remember, it's the leading provider of audiobooks. And Talking Metal listeners can download a free ebook on us and get an extended free trial of the service by going to audiblepodcast.com Talking Metal. I'm going to have that linked through today's show notes on TalkingMetal.com. We have another sponsor, Squarespace. Squarespace is the all in one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. Use offer code ROCKON when checking out. That's R O C K space O N. All right, guys, thanks for supporting Talking Metal by supporting our sponsors. Back to Victor.
2: I am 100% wrong again. Uh, uh, aside from being wrong with the Motley Crue question, the lead guitarist of Vandenberg's Moon Kings is Adrian Vandenberg. So,
3: okay, well that makes sense. So
2: I read yeah. the yeah.
3: and the Motley Crue question I gave you that was that was uh, a setup. I w- you know I mean even Mick Mars got that question wrong. So you can forgive yourself for yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, and even I. Technically, everyone in the band got that question wrong because they have it listed that way. I believe they have it listed that way in the dirt. Right. So,
2: that, that goes back to the old um, Dave Chappelle uh, skit there with uh, Rick James. Uh, although cocaine wasn't the only thing that the crew was probably taking, whatever they took right. was a hell of a drug enough for them to forget even their own music. So,
3: there you go. And by the way, Marty Friedman, the legend, does return this spring, 2014. Mentioned this in our interview with Joel. He does indeed have a new album coming out. It is Inferno, and it has Alexi Leho is on it. Jason Becker, I'm not sure exactly what, I mean, Jason is obviously ill, but he does still write music, so maybe that's what he's doing on it and A lot of other special guest stars. So uh, again, the new album coming this spring by Marty Friedman is called Inferno. So keep your eyes peeled for that, guys.
2: Another interesting thing that uh, Marty Friedman is going to be involved in that uh, I brought to your attention earlier today is a show on Fuse, where he's going to be interviewed by uh, the guitarist for Dillinger Escape Plan. Yes.
3: Yes. Yeah, so it's, just, you know, you, you told me about this, and I, I spent the better part of the afternoon talking to people that worked with me on the, the Fuse, talking metal on Fuse show, and and it's a long story. Um, however, it's probably, uh, you know, and John has other side stories that go along with this that he's never made public and, you know, may not want made public, and, and those I will leave up to him to expose if he ever th- wants to. However, I've explained this somewhat on the, the Mark Striegel Show podcast, which is now defunct and no longer available. But just to, to go back, we, Talking Metal, meaning John and I, had a show on Fuse for one season. Yeah, we did technically eight episodes, seven which aired on the Fuse Network, one which was like an online bonus episode. And this happened in 2000, late 2007, it, the first one was on, and the, uh, it, the remaining new episodes, I think, premiered up until probably, like, May in 2008. They were debuting sometimes, like, a new episode every other week or every three or four weeks, depending. And it did well. Now, you obviously wouldn't think that because we never did a second season, but it did do well, and Fuse continued to rerun it until 2010, early 2010. And they would do crazy stuff like put us up against that metal show. And we would always hold our own, sometimes even beating that metal show. I, I remember we, there was a season premiere of that metal show, and they put on our episode with Ozzy. I'm not bragging. Maybe I'm bragging. But we beat we beat them. Like a show uh, our talking metal on show on Fuse show, which was over a year old at that point, ended up, you know, getting better ratings. But, you know, whatever. We're the bums. We lost that metal show, guys. They win. They have a, a great show on, on VH One Classic that continues to get renewed season after season. And I'm friends with Don. I like Don Jameson. I, I've known Eddie. He's always been extremely nice to me. And John is friends with Eddie Trunk. And great guys. They deserve everything they they got. Having said that, their their producer, Jeff, is a good friend of mine, the guy who produces that show. And he was he and a lot of the people at VH1, when we went to Fuse with this and and, and did the show there, were upset that we didn't do it with them. Now, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff, like we didn't have the technically the chance ever to do it with them because views greenlit it and we we went with it. You know, um I had a lot of people might not know this, but I had originally pitched the idea to VH1 because we had done John and I and my friend Eric had done these uh um countdown shows where we were we were interviewed as metal experts, quote unquote, the three of us and uh that's a term VH1 came up with. And the woman who had produced those countdown shows I had pitched her this idea of doing a weekly heavy metal show, and she loved it. However, she ended up leaving VH1 and going to Fuse. At which point, she had me repitch it to her at Fuse. Now, VH1 suspected this, and there's legal issues that you know who knows you know you know if it should have ever been on Fuse. However, we never had never signed anything with VH1, and and they had never offered us anything. Fuse offered us something. We went with Fuse. VH1 freaked out. They were pissed. And Eddie had already been pitching them a show. He and, and Jim Brewer were going to do a show, and it was going to be like the man show, you know, the Corolla Kim Kimmel show, and but more rock-oriented, but not strictly rock. So VH1 told them that they wanted it to be more metal and I swear people will not believe me but I swear and this is right from the VH1 people that that was because they were wanting to do a show that was more in the style of talking metal on Fuse you call me a liar it, I I swear that that's that's the case Now, however, you know, that metal show has grown and it's a very different show in some ways. In some ways, it's a very similar show, depending who you talk to, to what we did on Fuse. Um, And, you know, Fuse continued to rerun our show. I would go in there every eight months. They'd call me in for a meeting saying, hey, we're going to do more shows and then it would fall through. Somebody would get fired. By the way, Fuse fires everybody every year. It's an entire yeah, it's an entire new group of people. So the, the fact that they continued to air it until 2010 tells you that it did do okay for Fuse. Uh, however, you know the shows got old and and they weren't interested enough in it to do a uh, another run. So, Victor, anyways, when you sent this link to me that they were going to do this heavy metal, metal head-to-head show earlier today, it it, kind of brought back a lot of old feelings about this whole thing. And I'll tell you one thing. I, again, spoke with numerous people throughout the day about it. And I pitched something to them last July that was very, very similar to this. They passed on it and told me it was not an original idea. And, I mean, when I say similar, I'm talking real similar. I had even referenced in the meeting that, you know, they should check out the Rebel to Rebel in Revolver magazine because it would be something similar to that, but yet the people would jam at the end. Now, Fuse has always told me that, oh, we don't, you know, we're just not the right place for metal. We don't want to do metal. And I said, well, look at Ex-Wives of Rock. And they were like, oh, yeah, but... You know, we don't know. that. That's done by an outside production company, by the way, so Fuse was getting that show rather cheaply. You know, uh, they weren't paying for the whole thing themselves. Um, you know, the production company was selling it to them in the States and another company in Canada and another company in the U.K., so, you know, Fuse didn't have to pay a ton of money for the ex-wives of rock. Uh, but I, I use that as an example of why they should bring Talking Metal back, and they just didn't go go for it. So when you sent me this link I was shocked that okay, wow, Fuse is going to do a, another heavy metal show. The fact is they're not. It's they're only airing these on their website. I don't know if you caught that Victor. I
2: saw that the first episode was going to premiere um on the website, but I Yeah. But I figured
3: I think it, I read web series.
2: Uh let's see here. Yeah, you're right. A web-only show.
3: So that means that they're going to get a couple thousand views, these episodes. So I'm curious, did Fuse take the idea that I gave, that I pitched to them, that they told me was not original enough last July, and make a, make a show out of it? Or did some other outside production company produce this on their own? And in a la- after not being able to land a television show, they're throwing it up on Fuse, Fuse's website, a place that has zero visitors. I mean, it's like, you know, it's, it's a, it's a graveyard, the Fuse website, but so I don't know. I don't know. It's all, I'm all, I'm still researching it and I'm all very, very curious about it, but I can't help but think that I planted the seed for this idea and we'll find out more soon. Um, the other thing, you know, I'd like to mention is that, yeah, maybe I won't even go into it, but you know Yeah, I'll I'll mention it quickly. We did pitch Talking Metal recently to VH1, and we're in discussion with them from January 2013 to about June 2013 about possibly doing a new version, I don't even know if I've told you this, Victor, of Talking Metal, but on VH1 Classic. And it got close, but in the end, it did not happen. And I was told that that was because that metal show was going to continue to get renewed and also that they had a second metal show with our old friend, metal Mike. And I hinted at this in this, the interview you and I did with him, Victor, that Jim Brewer was talking with VH one about doing a comedy metal show. And they had actually agreed to do it, but it fell through at the last minute, kind of like the Eddie trunk, Jim Brewer show did back, you know, five years earlier. So, um, I, at that point, reached out to VH1 again and said, okay, well, now one of your two metal shows is not happening. You know, Talking Metal is definitely still interested if there's now room for us, it, you know, and this is probably last June or July, at which point I got a response. Good to know. Let's touch base soon. You know, and I, I haven't heard anything from them since then. So that, that's where the the pitching of Talking Metal to uh, to TV stations there's even been other ones like that I've pitched it to, uh, seriously. And it, it's never stopped since the um, fuse show ended, uh, back in you know, 2008 and was again, it blows me away. They re ran that show until early 2010. I mean, they were playing the Ozzy show like Ozzy's next album had already come out. I forget. I think Black Rain was the album he spoke to us about on Fuse and Scream, I believe had already come out or was about to be released. And they were still airing clips of him talking to us about Black Rain.
2: Why do you think that there's such a hesitation though? Is it a demographics thing? Is it that?
3: Yeah, it's a demographic thing. And I mean, what, what Fuse said to me, the last pitch meeting I had with him, listen, you know, this belongs on VH1 Classic, not, not Fuse. And that's referring to a talking metal TV show. So that's, you know, and I, I agree with them, you know, and, and they're a younger demographic, at least so they claim. However, the ex-wives of Rock doesn't fit into that younger demographic, at least in my opinion, because those women are all in their mid-40s.
2: Right now, I I agree with you, and and I do think from from what I have seen of all the various shows, and unfortunately over here I don't have the same coverage, so whatever I am able to see is either via YouTube or or similar. Um, what you guys offer or have offered in the past isn't exactly what that metal show is doing,
3: um, and even no. It's not, it's not, you know, but, but I believe that what we did and I don't believe it. I know it. I've been told this by the producer of that metal show that what we did was extremely influential on what they did and whether, you know, we, they don't jam with the, the guests, but yet they have a guitar player in the audience playing you know solo guitar it's like well where'd they get that idea well it's what we did you know um and it's a different format you know they they travel to the or i'm sorry we traveled to the um the the rock stars they have them there in the studio so it's definitely different but they were looking knowing that two guys who were in the vh1 family did a show for Fuse was what prompted them to get their own metal show. And the, you know, listen, the Eddie Trunk in a lot of ways is far more deserving to have his own TV show than we are. You know, he's been doing this for years, you know, and uh and there's no better choice, honestly. He's 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 the king. A funny side note, it's right after the Fuse show, I approached Eddie Trunk to see if you'd want to do a be an executive producer on a radio show version of Talking Metal hoping that he could get us into Sirius or possibly on you know 104.3 here in in New York and that time he told he told me uh but I can't do anything because I have a major announcement coming in about a month and it was a month later that they huh. announced that Metal show which again Eddie Trunk and Don are both great great guys and uh deserve everything they have going and i think i think they do a good job with those those shows Uh,
2: i remember back on the old forums a lot of people were were slagging them for you know um well for talking metal no longer being on fuse or not being renewed and and them continuing with what they were doing on vh1 but i mean obviously i i do think that there's room for multiple shows because again you know they they aren't doing the same thing that uh that you guys were doing and and vice versa and i think if they were smart and i don't know i'm not a tv executive but there there's so much that i think um you know there's a much broader net that they can cast to bring in different types of people to watch both shows i would think and you know, I, I don't know. I, I just think the jam aspect of what you guys did was was that one thing that really hooked a lot of people in, and something that they they obviously can't do because they're not musicians. And you know, and they're they
3: right. But listen, their show is succeeding on some level, and you know, they 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 win. They are continuing to get the show renewed season after season, how long that'll go on for, who knows, nothing goes on forever in TV, Uh, probably quite the opposite. Everything is generally real short lived. Uh, So we'll, we'll see. And I I hope it goes on for a long time because, you know, they're representing the music that, that we love. Um, And I will say this, that when in early 2013, when I went in there and met with Jeff, the producer of that metal show, and said listen let can we try to do talking metal on VH1 he was like you know yeah we love talking metal we got to do it you know he sat down with me in his office and we rewrote a new pitch he didn't want it to be like the fuse show cuz he wanted to take it outside the studio he didn't want it to be uh, a show that was in a studio like that metal show was or like the old talking metal on fuse show was so we wrote a, he and i wrote a whole new pitch john actually helped helped out and and uh, he actually formatted it and added photos to the pitch, and for the next six months, the thing was was pitched within VH1, and we had a lot of people behind it there. But in the end, it did not end up happening—at least, not right now. And will I approach them again? Of course, of course. Will will it end up happening? You know, probably not. But I will continue to 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 pitch it, and and I, you know, it's funny when we got the thing on Fuse, you know, I'd been on all these VH1 countdown shows and we got the thing on Fuse and at that point in my life I was like, wow, it's not that hard to get a show on TV. I now 5, 6 years later realized that it is kind of tough to get a show on TV. It's not something that that anyone can easily make happen and you definitely have to have something that that is appealing to you know TV execs, but at the same time, right? You have to have a little Could bit of luck. Could you see lot. something
2: similar to what you described with the um, Housewives show, where an outside production company may be interested in doing something with you guys and maybe pitching it to work?
3: Yeah, sure. I've pitched it to I've pitched it to fifteen outside production companies over the course of the past fifteen to sixteen years. And when I say pitch, I mean. Sat down, talked it over, you know, gone to meetings at offices. I'm not talking about sending a random email. I'm talking serious pitches. I've sat down, and you know everybody likes it, but people are like, you know, heavy metal's not big anymore i'm and I always say, well, Metallica just sold out you know the the arena in Newark, you know with seventeen thousand people each night two nights in a row. they sold it out in in ten minutes, so heavy metal still is big and then but the flip side of that is. Maybe it's not because I go see uh, other bands play, you know, that once we're filling arenas and they can't even, you know, fill a club in, you know, Clifton, New Jersey, you know, so I, I don't know. Right. I don't know. It's hard, I, it's hard I, to I say. I agree
2: with you. I mean, one of the probably what, one of the crappiest aspects of the, the, the music that we do love to listen to is that the fan base has splintered in a lot of ways and uh, instead
3: Yep. For some groups, yeah, but for others, no. You know, I mean, how did the last Slayer tour do? Do you do you get any numbers on that? I I missed it. I don't. Maybe they're still on tour. I know they played in New York on th- Thanksgiving. I was out of town, but I was but, but even wondering how that did
2: at the same you know um, scale that Metallica's at, where they're playing the Prudential Center. They're usually playing what, like the Nokia, and they've usually got another band like anthrax or death angel or or someone like that along with them it isn't as if it's a you know a single package that they're selling out a a larger theater so it's a it's a different level i i think in my opinion similar to a lot of people maybe saying well you know they don't like metallica or, or whatever instead of trying to support something that's within the genre that you follow uh, it's similar to what I was referring to with that metal show, you know, people are so splintered where they want to say, Oh, well, you know, um, metal talking metals, my favorite show. So I can't watch, you know, that metal show instead of saying, you know what, let me support everything metal so that that way everything grows and everything, you know, has a place. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's it's unfortunate, but, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, yeah. I'd love to see Talking well, Metal, you know, on um, on some sort of network there. You know, I don't know if uh, outside of the U.S. you guys approached anyone or, or if it's just.
3: Yeah, definitely. I, we've approached people outside of the U.S. There's big interest outside of the U.S. I have one company I'm working for that it's like if we can just get one big U.S. buy. And this is what Sam Dunn did with it, whatever that. Metal history thing right. he was doing, which I don't know how in the hell he did it, but he got VH1 chip in oh. for that thing. And yep. he did like 12 episodes or 30, you know, and, and then that's then he, he sold yep. it all over the world and he got like, he got, you know, he got, you know, 20, 25 grand per, got Ireland to, to chip in. You know, when I say Ireland, I'm talking yeah. about whatever the, Big TV station is there, or whatever TV station picked it up. The chip in and the bank with that show. I mean, he he worked his tail off on those on those those you know episodics for that. Uh, but that, I don't know how he pulled that off, but he did. And quite frankly, the ratings were. One. I thought the show was good. A lot of you guys were arguing with me; you didn't like it. I, I enjoyed the show, at least the first few episodes. I think you didn't like it, did you? Metal what was it called? Metal. Uh, my biggest uh, metal issue evolution. With yeah. the
2: Show, and this has a lot to do with, you know, s- similar to what I'm saying now with the splintering within metal, and this goes back to an interview that I did with uh, Michael Kiska of uh, the, of Halloween fame where um, he was mentioning that one of the reasons why he stepped away from metal for so many years was that there, for, for a genre of music that hates structured religion and things like that, there seems to be a Bible which or a set of rules that say this is metal, this isn't metal. Um, I thought it was dumb that... Uh, Sam Dunn went out and started, he, he started bashing certain things like the, uh, LA scene and glam metal. And, you know, that, that music wasn't cool, but he's wearing a Van Halen t-shirt the whole time, you know, while he's interviewing people. Then when right. he starts talking about new metal, when he gets to the, the end of the episode, well, what's worse, you know, well, a lot of people don't like new metal and a lot of people don't like glam metal. What's worse of the two? I would say glam metal is much worse than new metal. Well why? Yeah. No, Did he no, no, say no. that? He I thought he said, said the that. opposite. Thought I thought that he glam said that it yeah. was worse than new metal. So, as we've talked in the past, um a lot of different genres of metal are all about image and what you're selling to your crowd. How different is it for you know, when Rob Flynn of Machine Head was running around in an Adidas track suit, which everyone crapped on him for doing that, uh, um, how different is that right. from him now wearing a leather vest, leather wristbands, and black jeans? Oh, well, that's cool. No, he's just trying to portray a different image that sells more within the type of metal that he's trying to sell. That's no different than what... You know they were doing in l a back in you know the late eighties. It's no different to what alt metal bands were doing in the mid nineties with you know dyeing their hair red and trying to be as Marilyn Manson as possible and you know all types of you know metal there there are different waves and different evolutions that come along and you have bands you have three, four, five bands that are the leaders of the pack. Everyone else follows. I know a lot of people get on my case when I say the first Corn album is one of the most influential albums to come out in the 90s. Not only because of the image, but
3: oh, I agree with that.
2: everyone and their mother started playing seven-string guitars, started tuning like them. So much so that Sepultura's most sold album, Roots, is basically a ripoff.
3: When when did Roots come out? And some, came out after the Roots first Corn album? Uh,
2: after the first Corn oh. album came out, a lot of people say, "Well, Slayer is the ACDC of thrash metal." But I, I shit, love
3: that Roots record, Sl- by the way. I mean, I'm not like a crazy expert on Sepultura, but that record, Roots, I I freaking love.
2: Oh yeah, I love. I, I love that album as well. The, the the track Born Stubborn off of that is my all-time favorite Sepultura track. And and as a drummer, uh the way that Igor plays on that album was very influential to things that I've incorporated over the years playing. Um getting back to what I was saying about Slayer, a lot of people say that you know, Slayer hasn't changed. After Korn came out, Slayer started using seven string guitars and Tuning Down. I forget if it was uh, Diabolus in, in Musica is the name of the album, or, or if it's the album that came out right after that, but they did it as well. That corn album influenced so many different bands, whether you like it or not, and the problem is that for every corn album that changes the landscape, you have uh, Crazy Town with Butterfly. You know, you have... Uh, fifth or sixth generation you know retread or reject that comes along which messes everything up and, and that's the bad taste that remains in your mouth it's the same thing with the uh, with the glam bands a lot of people you know um, we're, we're talking about the first two Motley yeah. Crue albums yeah.
3: Bill Wang on you Facebook know, they, by the way is pointing out 1996 is when Roots came out and it was produced by Ross Robinson yeah, so that's kind of interesting, and yeah. definitely pulls in the the corn connection. Did Sepultura target Ross because of the work he had done previously with Corn, or did Ross like Sepultura and kind of give them a little bit of the same sound that he gave Corn?
2: Right. There's actually an unreleased track um, that was put out on, like they put out two special editions of roots and one of them has a track that actually has Jonathan Davis on it as well. So, you know, that furthers that whole thing. There's a track with Mike Patton called war. And there's another one with, uh, uh with Jonathan Davis, which I don't remember. Well, There's the a track of.
3: on, on, right. um, roots called look away, which I believe features both Jonathan Davis and Mike Patton. Yeah. DJ. So Lethal, okay. too. Yes.
2: Okay, so hey, there you have uh, a Limp yeah. Biscuit connection.
3: <laughs> uh, good stuff, Victor. Anyways, yeah. Um, and you know, let's let's just hope that we can continue getting some some metal on TV. Because I must say, when I fir- when you first sent me the link, a I was a little ticked because it's so close to a idea that I had pitched fused, but. Uh, so that that ticked me off. That hey, are they using my idea without even giving me credit? We don't know that. Um, the the I don't. Right. I, I need to investigate it further, quite frankly. But the the then later in the day, I realized, well, this is only a web series, and I got ticked off about that. So it's like, well, they get a show going with all these great heavy metal guys on it, and they only have the decency to throw it on there, you know. Dot TV website that absolutely no one goes to so um right who, who knows
2: yeah similar to the uh you know how they put the, the 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 proverbial uh bullet in the head of headbangers ball you know just throw it out there on the web and no one's gonna watch so they essentially say oh well you know this isn't this basically um is it marketable? It isn't going to, you know, there's no return on investment on, uh, you know, this type of music, but if you're not giving it a chance, how do you know what type of a a fan base you're, you're going to, you know, pull in? Um, I mean, I obviously haven't, I haven't been in the States in a few years, but last time I checked fuse out, you know, seeing reruns of Michael Jackson and the whiz 400 times a week. I don't, (laughs)
3: They they do play a lot drawing. of movies on, on on Fuse and that's because whenever they air those those movies, you know whether it's you know Breakfast Club or, or you know The Whiz with Michael Jackson, they they get numbers they get people who don't even watch Fuse or even know what Fuse is you know channel surfing by and and they oh, I remember this movie and they they sit there and they watch it for an hour and that drums up their Nielsen rating, which means they can, you know, drum up their advertising, Select. you know? Yeah. So, so I, I, I get it, you know, I, and it, nothing, you know, as somebody who, who's spent a lot of time working in the TV business, you know, whether it's MTV, like, why don't they play videos anymore? Or, or some others, you know, working at sci-fi, why did they cancel Caprica? It's well, because these are businesses and it's like, if, if they're not making money, they they change things up and they do something different they're not artists doing art for art's sake they are big corporations that need to make money to survive and to pay their employees so the reason MTV stopped playing videos is because you people out there stopped watching them and stopped giving them that rating i mean back in the 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 mid 80s i mean MTV was getting like a crazy rating. I mean, they were, they were getting like, like, you know, a million viewers all the time, you know, now, now they don't get in, you know, anywhere close to that. So, you know.
2: Right. MTV actually just won off the air here in Spain. Did it? It's, it's, it's become a pay channel actually, because they wasn't self-sustainable, similar to, uh, to, to what you're saying. they, they, converted it to 100% reality TV with reruns of Jersey Shore, the British version of Jersey Shore, and uh, more or less, for lack of a better comparison, the Spanish version of the Osbournes. Um, And, you know, that worked for about two, three years, but now it's all, it's gone to uh, a pay format as a result. Uh, I used to get a full music package here, which had um four vh1s three different mtvs and a bunch of other channels and those are all dead there's one vh1 now and there are two spanish-based um music channels uh that i mean just play pop stuff over and over and over again i do get a satellite feed from england and they have a a cool channel called scuzz which um uh, Blabbermouth sometimes features interviews and and things, which which is great. But uh, same deal, a lot of repetition, a lot of commercials, and it, me personally, it drives me nuts.
3: Yeah. Well, the thing Watch is, them. I mean, just music in general. Uh, you know, the the these these stations are always going after the 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 twenty somethings because they spend a lot of money on on things at you know from video games to you know fast food right. and uh, whatever. And I guess the question I have is, do, does the younger generation still care about music in the passionate way that we did when we were kids? Or has stuff become so devalued with, you know, illegal downloads and, and just even the impersonal downloads you get on iTunes? And, and is, is, it just, is it just not an exciting thing anymore for young kids uh, and I don't know I don't know the answer to that question. I think that it has diminished slightly for sure, but I don't I don't know
2: I think a lot. Yeah,
3: a lot. Yeah. I do too. You know, and you know like a band like the Winery Dogs when I go and when I went and saw them play at the Starland Ballroom in New Jersey. This is a band that to me is is fresh and new even though the guys in the band you know, are are all in their forties. Uh, Billy Shan may even be older than that.
2: Right. Right. Uh,
3: you know, what disappointed me was that uh, you know, I didn't see any young kids whatsoever in the audience. It was all you know, beer bellies and bald heads and and fat guys and you know, and, and it's just like, why wouldn't a, a younger group of of guys and girls, for that matter, be interested in hearing? this great band the winery dogs perform live and, and why why wasn't there that uh, element of youth in the audience i mean and, and that it kind of bums me out honestly a little bit because i i feel that young kids should know about a band like that because they're they're so damn good you know and right what if the uh, winery I, dogs were all 25 years old would people be into them i i still feel like maybe not i don't know
2: I don't think they would. I mean, you have a band like Blackstone Cherry that is in that demographic, and they're playing, you know, sort of like a modern classic rock, and they aren't burning the house down. You know, they are. They're they've got a reputation in the UK, for example, but not in the states. Uh, I remember a few years back, I interviewed, I, I went to go see Overkill, and one of the opening bands was a uh, British band called Savage Messiah, which is now starting to get some press. Um, At that time, the lead singer mentioned that he felt that downloads were no longer an issue and that the real issue was YouTube and Facebook and things similar to that. And his theory was that a kid no longer had to go out and even go to iTunes and purchase something because he could just go to YouTube, find the songs that he wanted, create a playlist and just play it on his computer and that's it he didn't have to purchase it there's no type of emotional connection with having yeah, to Yeah, the emotional
3: out. connection for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I and mean music- the, the thing about YouTube though is I whenever I listen to a song on YouTube it just it usually the quality sounds rather poor to me. Yeah.
2: But these kids are used to hearing stuff in, you know, uh, 95 or, or 96 kilobytes or 56 kilobytes where, you know, they didn't even care if it's, you know, the, the, best quality were to if it's a flack or if it's an yeah. ACC. but I, I don't
3: even know if the quality thing is, a, is an issue because I mean what about a, a, a you know 12 year old kid in 1966 or even 76 for that matter well let's say 66 who listened to you know Wolfman Jack on AM radio you know one little speaker mono sounded terrible but he was still excited to hear hear you know music on on that format if you will so right. so is is listening to a track on youtube that bad or or you know i i don't know i really don't know it's uh let me know what you guys yeah. think post on our facebook page
2: <laughs> you don't have to go that far back i mean i i was introduced to uh, eddie trunk as a 13 year old listening to him on my uh, alarm clock radio <laughs> you know when he was in when he was on dha in uh, new jersey and a lot of it has to do with the internet, I think, you know, as we're saying. Um, and getting back to what you said with the winery dogs, I think uh, just the fact that a lot of people are uh, have the ability to record shows on their phones now um, or on digital cameras, I think a lot of people are just seeing some of the bands online and just foregoing the whole concert experience. And it has absolutely... You know, the one has absolutely nothing to do with the other. It has nothing to do with a, a, you know, a a DVD or a Blu-ray that's been produced and set up and, you know, sequenced a certain way and and mixed a certain way so that it sounds great on your TV or on your home, you know, cinema or or whatever. But I think it gets back to, you know, unfortunately, people maybe – and and this goes with a lot of business – People taking free over over quality, perhaps, you know, where, all right, well, I can get my hands on it, and this is good enough for me. You know, why am I going to, you know, spend X amount to see someone if I can just throw them up on, on YouTube, even if the quality isn't that great?
3: Right. Totally. All right, man. Well, listen, Eddie Trunk has started his show. He's already 22 minutes in, which I'm sure that means Ace is going to be on soon. So we should all go. If you're in the New I York... What's that?
2: <laughs> I can't listen. The uh, Clear Channel actually uh, blocks anything outside of the U.S. Oh, really?
3: Well, that stinks. Uh, but I know at q point no, it's actually Q1043.com, they do have a link that says listen live here uh, through iHeartRadio. So we will check that out and we'll hear what Ace has to say about the KISS Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction tonight. Well,
2: if, if you were a betting man, what do you think Ace, Ace is going to say? Do you think uh, thumbs up that they're going to be playing and everything else? Or do you think it's a thumbs down that somehow things haven't worked out?
3: I think it's a thumbs down. That's my guess. But I also think anything could happen the night of. But my guess is it's a thumbs down. I have no inside information on that. That's just my guess. I, I, I actually hope I'm wrong. I do hope I'm wrong. But I do think if there were some major announcement like, oh, the four original members are going to play, you'd be hearing that first through Paul or Gene, not Ace. But um, who, right. who knows? Who knows? Uh, we'll, we'll see shortly.
2: It's, it, it's unfortunate. And as you touched on before, it, it just seems like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame outside of all the shenanigans that we've talked about on episode after episode, they look for drama. And similar to the Nirvana deal that you mentioned uh, with Courtney Love and all that, uh, now with Kiss and and Paul's valid points of, you know, why did the Chili Peppers get to induct absolutely everyone and they're not allowed to induct anyone outside of the four original members? You know, that to me is 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 stupid, but it it is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and at the end of the day, I don't know, just appreciate the band, appreciate the music that uh, that they put out, and ultimately, you know, whether they're in there or not, I don't think that's going to diminish at least for me, it's not going to diminish my interest in their music.
3: Yeah, well said, definitely. Definitely. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious to what people, you know who we haven't heard from on this? Bruce Kulik, people like that. I'd like to Obviously, we won't hear from, from Vinnie Vincent, and I guess there's really but, nothing – nobody else left because Eric Carr is dead and Mark St. John is dead. So
2: Right, but Bruce should be in there. I mean, there's no, no questions asked. I mean, if, if you look at it, for for as important as the original four were, if there weren't people to keep the name alive – I, you know, I don't think that that reunion would have been able to happen to the level of success. I know a lot of people are, won't agree with me on that, but how many bands disappeared in the '70s or the early '80s, came back, had maybe one semi-big tour, and that was it? Kiss in reality has maintained, you know, through its ups and downs, a sort of. I don't know um, a sort of a legacy that they've been able to sort of tie things together, and yeah, the the original four obviously have drawn more money, but I don't know. It, it all gets back to everything being a business, and a lot of people not realizing that aspect of of things, and and I don't know. We could go on for yeah. about another seven or eight
3: hours. Bruce is just, a good guy. He he burned the flame. Yeah. He kept things alive. He is yeah. a part of some records that I personally think are really good. Are they yeah. classic Kiss records like the 70s stuff? Eh, probably not, but they they are some damn good records. And uh, I, I have a lot of respect for Bruce Kulik, and I do believe he should – he and Eric Carr for sure should right. be included. And, I mean, the Vinny thing, uh, you know, I, I, I could go honestly either way on that. I do think he contributed, you know – greatly to creatures and look it up and somewhat to revenge you know um i could go either way on him but for sure in my book bruce kulik and eric carr should also be included and you know what i bet if you asked a guy like ace he wouldn't have a problem with that uh, i i don't know that for sure but ace always liked eric carr and ace right. to this day likes bruce kulik you know so uh,
2: right there. I, I agree and and i mean if you really look at it getting back to the whole MTV thing, how many people were turned on to kiss when Bruce and Eric were in the band
3: yeah you know? there some you know I mean I, I I do think that it was a much I mean if you look at the, the the album sales and stuff you can't you can't deny that those albums they put out in the 70s are the best sold. ones and and right. the ones that sold the most. However you're right I mean look at the song forever you know I mean was isn't that their biggest hit is that bigger than Beth I don't know it's very close you know
2: reached number three if I'm not mistaken yeah. where I think was like number nine or maybe something it's not like bigger
3: that. than Beth I don't know but it, it's it's close it's close you know and I I have said this I don't know if I said it on the podcast uh, but I'd love to see this 40th anniversary tour where they they like the stones brought out you know mick taylor for for a few some songs here and there i would love to see kiss do this 40th anniversary tour we know ace and peter are on to the they're on bad terms you know for whatever reason and they're not going to get invited out to do this tour why not bring bruce out and have him play some of the non-makeup era hits with the guys i think that would be a really nice touch and People are like, oh, no one cares. But I think people do care. You know, be, yeah. people don't care about Mick Taylor. But when he's with the Stones, they actually do care. You know, it's it's yeah. all part of the collective, you know.
2: I, so. I, I agree. I mean, are you telling me that, you know, as when the, for example, when the Kissology DVDs came out, I know a lot of people started saying, oh, well, this means they're going to do some type of package deal where similar to what you're saying, they're going to bring out different members of the band from throughout the years to celebrate, you know, what the band has done. Um, I, I mean, as you just said, that would be the greatest thing as a diehard kiss fan to have different, you know, parts of the set where Bruce comes out, does tears are falling does a few different tracks that he was involved with. Um, I don't know how you get Vinny involved in there, but, you know, obviously he'd have to play Lick It Up and and things of that nature. And at the end, you bring everyone out. What surprises me is that they haven't done that for the crews because with the crews, you're dealing 100% with diehard fans that are shelling out thousands of dollars right. to see them. And you can get away with this whole, you know, bullshit attitude that, Oh, well, you know, if we play Strange Ways live, you know, there are a lot of people that are going to be running to the uh, concession stands. Maybe, maybe not. You're going to have a lot of diehards that are going to be going out. You might have more people going out to shows because they're going to be seeing a different set list from what they've been seeing since
3: 96. Right. Right. Right on. Victor, I got to totally wrap it up here. But, um, yeah, yeah, we could talk about this all night and. We will continue to talk about it on future episodes of Talking Metal. Big thanks to Victor for hooking everything up tonight. And uh, I know you got some new equipment, so thanks for uh, doing that and and making things happen. And let's go check out Ace right now on Eddie Trunk's show.
2: Absolutely.
3: Hey, Victor, what do you have to take us out?
2: Uh, We have, since John mentioned uh, Ronnie Mancuso, let's do some Red Dragon
3: Cartel. Excellent. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. All right, all right, Victor. I got to shut down here, but um, thank you, dude.
2: Yeah, no, no problem at all. I hope uh, uh, when I send the files over that.